Hello and welcome to the Adult Voices Across America Speakers Meeting. If you would like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org and click on Online Meetings and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm happy to introduce our speaker tonight, Barb from New Haven, Connecticut. Hi, I'm Barb. I'm an adult child, codependent and abstinent compulsive overeater. And I'm absolutely thrilled for this opportunity to give service. I apologize for the lack of clarity on my screen. I have a crack through my camera. Um, and I know that lack of clarity is a huge problem for adult children. So I apologize for that. Um, so I came to my first ACA meeting um, April 18th, 2015. Um, I actually started in CODA six weeks before that. And what got me there was I had met this homeless guy named Dan through a service project at church and we became friends. And one day during a snowstorm, I invited him to stay at my home and he did. And then he stayed another time and then another time. And then four months later, he was practically living at my house. And I felt trapped in my own home. I think um, he was definitely an addict and an alcoholic. I think he may have also been a narcissist or possibly had borderline personality disorder. By the way, I am going to be swearing. So if you are triggered by swearing, you should hang up. So um, you're forewarned. So um, I was in the middle of a therapy session and I was talking about him and I was mid-sentence. I stopped and I went, oh my God, do you think I need to go to Al-Anon? And my therapist was like, um, yes. And I don't know what I typed into Google when I went home, but I was looking for Al-Anon and I came across the word codependent. And I was like, what the fuck? How have I never heard this? Now I was in therapy starting at about 15 I was 52 when I came into recovery. So that's 37 years, not entirely straight therapy, but damn close. I've read a gajillion self-help books. I'm an incredibly introspective person. I've done workshops, workbooks, workouts, retreats, physical fitness, spiritual, I mean, you name it. And I never heard this word codependent before. So I started going to Codependence Anonymous and very quickly, I said to somebody who may even have been Dan that I said this to, I was like, I think I need to be reparented, but I thought I made that word up. I didn't know that was a thing. So six weeks into my recovery in CODA, when I already had a sense of relief, I went to go visit friends, my friends, Tim and Heidi, and Heidi had been in AA for a long time by then. And I was telling her about, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to CODA. It's like a huge relief. And she's like, well, hey, let's see if there's a CODA meeting around here and we'll go. Well, she couldn't find one, but she found an ACA meeting. Her dad is an active alcoholic. I don't identify as the child of an alcoholic. So I was like, I'll go for you. And I walk in, number one, they read the laundry list. My jaw hits the floor. And number two, they say, we reparent ourselves. And I was like, what? Now, Heidi tells me that I sobbed the whole meeting. I don't remember that. But I do remember that I bought the big red book and the yellow 12-step workbook. And I came home to New Haven, Connecticut, found a meeting started going with big red book meeting three weeks later, a women's meeting started on Friday nights. I started going to that. And about six weeks later, I started doing the 12 steps using the yellow workbook with three other women. It took us a little over two years to do that. 
And I continued to go to CODA for a year. And I just was not like the two different meetings I had tried were not particularly healthy. I was not seeing or hearing the kind of recovery that I was experiencing and reading about in the big red book. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to stop going to CODA. It's not working. Maybe I'll pick up another ACA meeting. And lo and behold, one of the women I was doing the 12 steps with 12 stepped me into Overeaters Anonymous, because guess what? When I was doing step four in ACA, I hit bottom with the sugar. And I don't think it's any accident that it happened while I was, you know, culling through all the crap of my childhood and coming to understand, I don't actually only have seven of the traits of the laundry list. I have four, 13 of them and really coming out of denial. That was really what that process was like. I had absolutely no idea how fucked up my family was or how fucked up I was. I really didn't know. I was in some really serious denial. And um, so I started um, the 12 steps in OA like five months later. And at this point, I've now done the steps in ACA three times, the laundry list workbook once, and I've done the steps in OA twice. And so for me, the 12 steps are where it's at. I just, I mean, I tried so many things and there's, there's a lot, I think part of it is the group nature of the work. Part of it is the spiritual nature of the work. Um, part of it is the methodical nature that there's this stepwise process, you know, that you go through and it just really, really worked for me. I am profoundly changed. I feel like my DNA has changed. My nervous system has absolutely been reset. I have new neuropathways and I am comfortable in my own skin. So I, I happen to be down over a hundred pounds for my top weight, but the comfort in my skin has absolutely nothing to do with my body weight, it has everything to do with my ACA recovery. I have peace and serenity most of the time. And when I don't, I know how to get back to it because I have tools. And the other thing is that I was a spiritual person before I came into recovery, but not like this. I use God in ways I never did before. And I ask God to use me, which I definitely never did before. So I have a very regimented conscious contact process. So I have a whole bunch of things that I do in the morning, a whole bunch of things I do at night. I have, I set a timer for the middle of the day to remind me to pray. And then because I'm in OA, I have a food plan and I eat three meals and two snacks a day. And I pray every one of those meals, which was something I always wanted to do, but never could do before recovery. And so for me, having a higher power has been just an absolute game changer because I'm not in charge. And to take the weight off of the, like the hyper vigilance of needing to be like right or on or there or, you know, holding up all these facades that, you know, that I had put up. And now I'm like, oh my God, it's just an enormous relief. I would say that, um, like being able to relax in my body and relax in my life is such a gift 
of recovery. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. Um, so what I know I've already sworn a few times, but um, the main reason why I said I'm going to swear is that my very first sponsee in this program used to say to me all the time, what the fuck's wrong with me? I don't know what the fuck's wrong with me. And I was like, listen, what the fuck's wrong with you is you're an adult child. Okay. So stop saying what the fuck's wrong with me. And here's why it's really important to know that you're an adult child, because in this program, step one says we are powerless over the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family or alcoholic family. Well, what does the big red book tell us the effects are? Distorted thinking and fear. So all of those, the guilt, the shame, the abandonment, I'm a piece of shit. I have all the right answers, or I love this one. I'm the piece of shit that the universe revolves around, right? I love that one. That first time I heard that, I was like, me, totally me, right? So it's important to remember what's quote wrong with you is you're an adult child. And the reason that it's important to remember that is that there's a solution to that, right? So if I'm just sort of floating out in the universe and I'm like, why do I abandon myself? Why am I riddled with guilt and shame? Why do I think negatively about myself? Why do I blame everybody else? Well, all those things are the effects of growing up in an alcoholic or dysfunctional home. Good news. There is a solution. So it's not like you're floating out there in the universe with some amorphous problem that you don't know what the solution is. The solution is to become your own loving parent, which means so many different things. It can be as simple and basic as you stop saying bad stuff to yourself or you say nice things to yourself. And it can be as complex as you create this whole cast of characters in your psyche and some of them are children and some of them are adults and the adults teach the children how to love themselves. You know, it can be as simple or as basic as possible. But it's so important to remember that we have a solution and that, you know, we're here for a reason and you're not inherently broken. You're wounded and you need healing is what you need. So um, speaking of that, I want to mention my, num- my top three tools of recovery. And these have literally been my top three tools since the very beginning. So tool number one for me is pausing. I can't do anything else or use any other tools if I don't pause. And I kind of feel like I have to add breathing to that, like pause slash take a deep breath. Because when I'm in fight or flight mode, when I'm in the reactor mode, my body feels like it's threatened. But when I can catch my breath, I'm telling my body I'm safe. And that means I can actually access, can come out of my lizard brain and I can access my frontal lobe and I can be an actor instead of a reactor. So pausing, number one. Now, let me tell you, learning to pause was monumental. It was like, let me climb Mount Everest. (laughs) I mean, it was just brutal. But here's, here's the way it worked for me. I'm in recovery. I learned that pausing is a thing. It was like, what? Oh my God, I could pause, really? Okay, maybe you can pause, but I can't pause. Then what would happen is I'd be like, oh, that thing two weeks ago, I could have paused. Good to know. And then later it was like, oh, that thing one week ago, 
I could have paused. Awesome. Good to know. And then it was like, oh, that thing three days ago, I could have paused. So the window of time between when I could have paused and I realized it was closing and I was like, oh, this is like really exciting because pretty soon I'm going to be able to like right before it happens. And then maybe I'm going to actually be able to pause instead of doing the thing that I always do. And that is, of course, what happened. And in fact, that pattern is what has happened to me over and over and over again with all of the enormous changes that have happened in my life. So pausing is number one. My number two tool is reaching out. And I mean that in terms of reaching out to other humans and reaching out to my higher power. So let me start with reaching out to other humans. Not a thing in my world, okay? I'm the rescuer, I'm the fixer, I'm the saver. There's no way I'm asking anybody for help. Now, when I did the steps that first time with my step group, one of us, I don't remember who, one of us said, one particular meeting, you know, I was really upset the other day and I was gonna call one of you guys, but I talked myself out of it. And we were all like, oh my God, I do the same thing all the time. So come to find out, none of us are reaching out to anybody else, even though that we know we're supposed to be doing that. So we make a pact, okay. We're no longer talking ourselves out of reaching out to people. And guess what? None of us reached out. We made a pact. We talked about it. We made a pact. We still couldn't reach out. Like that is how hard it is to reach out in this program. But eventually we started doing it. And what that revealed to me was I had this idea in my head that I was somehow weak for reaching out. So there's a couple of assumptions buried in there. One is that weakness is somehow bad. It is not bad, it is weak, right? And two, that somehow it's weak. Why is reaching out to other people weak? If you think about it, that when you're connected to other people, that's strength because you have the strength of all the people that you're connected to. So it's just this complete, you know, illogical stuff. And what that also revealed to me is the fixer, rescuer, savior person that I was, that other people were reaching out to for help. Or, it, I mean, often they didn't have to wait. I didn't wait for them to reach out for help. I just went over and rescued and stuff. But clearly, I had this idea in my head that they were weak and I was somehow strong. That was pretty humbling to realize that I, I somehow felt like I was better than other people. And that was a huge part of why I didn't want to reach out for help. Well, let me tell you something, people. Help is awesome. I love help. Help is amazing. I love help. I love asking for help. I love going, listen, I love saying this. I don't know. I literally, I don't think I ever said those words before recovery because I grew up in a family where I somehow internalized the notion that I was supposed to know everything. I remember somebody saying to me, a boss one time, I was in my twenties, like, do you have to have an answer for everything? And in my head, I'm like, yeah, don't you? Like what? Of course I have to have an answer for everything. Like, what, what kind of a question is that? Like, that seems insane to me. It's patently obvious you're supposed to have an answer for everything. And I can see now I made shit up. I mean, I made like educated guesses and then I acted as if whatever guess I made was like the word of God and held onto it. 
as if it was the word of God. And, and I mean, I guess I knew that I was doing it, but I didn't have, it was like one of those things I didn't have clarity about. So learning to reach out for help was just like an absolute game changer. And then there's reaching out to my higher power. So for me, um, I say um, the AA third step and the AA seven step prayer every day. I do the on awakening and on retiring practices from the AA big book. And I have a Buddhist prayer that I say every day and I've said for many years. And actually it's literally come true in my life, which is really astonishing. So I'm turning my will in my life over to the care of God multiple times a day, every single day. I ask God to, ask God to guide my actions. I ask God to give me like the thoughts to think, the actions to take, the words to say, how can I be helpful to those who are still sick? But the thing that was really the game changer for me in the beginning was actually handing stuff over to God. And, and I say handing stuff over, like it was this gentle thing. No, no, no. I was like, I was shoving. I'm like, no, seriously, God, like take this. And for a while there, I thought I'm handing stuff over to God and God is not accepting it. And then I realized, no, no, I'm taking it back because I didn't really want to let it go. Like in theory, I wanted to let stuff go. But I was like, you know, I don't know if I really believe God is more powerful than I am, which seems insane, you know, to say that. But I mean, that's literally how I was acting. And that and for me, the number one thing that I have had to hand over to God is my thinking. The, 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 the ruminating, the, I'm going to say this, and then she's going to say that, and then oh, I'm going to say that, and then blah, 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 blah. like, I, I was like, seriously, God, you got to take this, like, and feelings, that was another thing, like, I feel like I'm going to die from this shame, or this guilt, or this, this anxiety, or whatever it is, you know, like, handing that stuff over to God, and, and when I was actually able to let that shit go, oh my God, incredible absolutely incredible so number two tool is reaching out and my number three tool is keeping the focus on me so the solution says we will learn to keep the focus on ourselves in the here and now not last week not 15 years ago and not 17 years from now right now so for me, learning to keep the focus on myself actually means a variety of things. It means what do I want, need, prefer, et cetera. Now, that wasn't a question that I ever asked. It was like, what do you all need? What do you need? What, what do you need? What, what needs to be done? Blah, blah, blah. So to like think like, well, what would I actually feel like doing? Or if I could do what, well, like, what do I want? So there's that. There's keep the focus on me. In other words, mind my own damn business. Because I was out there rescuing and fixing everybody else. I was in everybody else's business. Giving, oh my God, unsolicited advice that I was the queen. I'm telling people, oh, here's how to run a relationship. Here's how to do your health. Like I had years of substance abuse, uh, a 19 year long codependent relationship with my boss, many times of being estranged from my family. Um, I was over a hundred pounds overweight. I had years of debt problems. I never had one functional romantic relationship. And it turns out I didn't have functional colleague or friendships. Didn't know that until I got into recovery, but you should listen to me and take my advice on everything about living. And I remember when I had that realization, that was a step one, when I was doing my OA, I had the realization that litany of things I just listed for you. I was like, 
I remember I was in my bed doing my step work and I wrote out, like, I didn't do, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I think people should listen to me. And I laughed like the kind of belly laugh where you have to hug your ribs and your they ache because I was laughing so hard at the utter ridiculousness of how insane, like I can't run one area, one of my life, but I believe people should listen to me. Um, I mean, just, you know, absolutely insane. So I need to mind my own business. Another way of keeping the focus on myself um, is what's my part. Like for me, that is by far the greatest gift of my recovery is understanding my part in things, because that means I can stop doing the things that I was doing now that I know that I was doing them. And I would say that for me, stopping my part probably 85% of the chaos reduced and like gone in my life just from me stopping stuff. But part of me stopping stuff means not putting myself in chaotic situations. So, I mean, I'm a human chaos happens in around me, you know, but not anywhere near as often because I don't go to the chaos store anymore. You know, I don't go to the drug store for milk. I mean, the hardware store for milk anymore. And another aspect of focus on me is self-care. If I were to boil all recovery programs down into one thing, it's learn to love yourself. That's what it's about. And if you love yourself, then you take good care of yourself. Treat yourself as if you are beloved because you are, whether you feel it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are beloved, every single one of you. If you think I'm not talking to you, I'm especially talking to you. So focus on me. What do I need to do? I have an enormous self-care routine. And like my conscious contact is the foundation of it. But I also take really good care of myself. I do a little five-minute yoga routine at the beginning and the end of every day. I walk or do yoga every single day. Obviously, with my food program, I eat very healthy. Um, I do, I've actually kept a gratitude journal for 20 years. Last July was 20 years that I've been keeping a gratitude journal. That was a fantastic foundation for my recovery. So my number three tool is keep the focus on me. So it's pausing, reaching out, and keeping the focus on me. So I made a couple of notes here. Oh, so... One of the grand epiphanies that I've had, this has really come in the last year or so, and that is that when I stop abandoning myself, I stop being afraid of abandonment. Go figure. But if you think about it, that makes total sense because when I was constantly abandoning myself, which is what we do as adult children, because that's what we're trained to do. So when you say, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why do I keep abandoning myself? Remember, it's because you're an adult child. So when I stop abandoning myself, I'm no longer abandoned. And therefore, I don't need to be afraid of abandonment because I'm not. And then if you have a higher power, that's actually greater than you, and you add that to you stop abandoning you, then you're like super not abandoned. And then you don't like need people the way that you did before. You want people, you prefer people. 
to be in your life, but you don't need them in your life the way that I did when I was abandoning myself all the time. So that that's been really a game changer for me. And, you know, self-care is a big part of me not abandoning myself. So, so I mentioned, I do this little yoga routine every day. Well, the way that I make sure that I do it is I literally have a yoga mat on the floor and I happen to be, I am actually broadcasting from my sweetheart's house. That's amazing. I am in an incredibly loving, intimate, super fun, awesome two and a half year relationship with a man who, by the way, is also in recovery. And I bought another yoga mat and I brought it over here and I leave it on the floor next to the bed at his house too. Because, you know, my go-to, my, my well-worn groove is abandon myself. But I'm, I'm still, you know, six years in and I've done a really good job of retraining myself. But I do sometimes get up and be like, oh, I'm going to skip the routine. It's fucking five minutes, Barb. You put the mat here for a reason. Like, remember, take care of yourself. And I'm always like, I get on the mat. I'm like, oh my God, this feels so good. I'm so glad I did this for myself, you know? Um, so I have all these ways in which I have stopped abandoning myself. Um, and then another thing, real gift of recovery is um, being able to look back at my life before recovery and saying, here's what I was doing. Here's what I was thinking. And here's what my motives were. Now I was completely blind to all of that. What was happening? That's called denial. And I'm out of denial now. And I can see with crystal clarity, like all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I can see is that I think before recovery, it was almost like I was these fragmented pieces that were like sort of floating around in space and they had all these spaces between them. So other people's shit could like leak into my territory. And the process of recovery is one of integration. So not only have those fragments come together into one coherent whole, but I got rid of the pieces that weren't authentically barbed. So now I can be rocked by things that happen to me, but I cannot be shattered by them the way that I was before recovery. And what I think those fragments were about was I had all these different facades up. I was pretending all the time. I'm like consummate people pleaser and codependent. So like, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do that for you. No, I'm not or I don't mind, or I have time for that, right? So I was dishonest, right? And so that leads to, that's a lack of integrity right there. That's partly the fragmentation is by being dishonest because things that have integrity are whole. So like a bridge that doesn't have integrity has cracks in its foundation. Don't drive over that bridge, right? I didn't have integrity. But now I do because my fragments integrated into one coherent whole. I actually, it was about a year in recovery where I, I had a sticky note on my mirror that had the definitions of integrity written on them. One was about like the kind of thing about like being a person that does what they say they're going to do. And the other one was about like physical structures. And I kept looking, I'm going, there's a connection there somehow. And it just took a while for it to seep in for me that things that are whole have integrity, they're integrated. And so I think because I had all these different facades up, that was partly the fragments. And then the fact that 
I was lying. So um, I think for me, another enormous gift of recovery, which is also a tool of recovery, is healthy boundaries. I have very healthy boundaries now. I had practically non-existent boundaries before recovery. And when people would ask me, like, how is it that you are able to have boundaries? Like, what's the deal? And I was like, you know, I think the main thing is that I have come to care more what I think about me than what other people do. And this doesn't mean I don't care at all what other people think. Of course I do. You know, I'm a person, we're social animals. But what I mean by that is I used to throw my integrity out the window and just lie for the hope that you would like me or do the people pleasing. And it wasn't even necessarily like me. It was that you would think certain things of me, whether it's like, I'm kind, I'm nice, I'm good, I'm generous, I'm helpful, I'm smart, whatever it is, right? I wanted you to think something good about me. And so I'd lie to make that happen. So now, not willing to do that anymore. So I care more about my own personal integrity as a woman of honesty who practices, practices these principles in all her affairs than I do that you will like me. I, here's the thing. I actually like me now. So if you like me, that's a huge bonus, but it is just a bonus, right? The real yummy part is that I actually like me. And guess what? It's easier to like yourself when you're not lying. Right. And obviously I'm me on some level. I knew that I was lying, but I, you know, I didn't know that I was lying. Um, I think for me, the greatest freedom of recovery is freedom of choice. And of all the freedoms of choice, for me, the greatest is the freedom to choose my thoughts. I didn't know that I didn't have to believe the thoughts in my head. I had no idea. I just, that was just the game changer for me. Like, wait, what? I'm thinking it. That must be true. No, actually, a lot of those thoughts are bullshit. And now I know that. That just because I believe something doesn't mean it's true. So just because I think, well, if only people did things my way, it, that doesn't mean that that represents truth, right? Or um, um, she must not love me anymore because blah, 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 whatever, right? That doesn't, doesn't mean that it's true. Like I get to actually examine my thoughts. And that's been another huge gift is actually being able to see the thoughts. They've come to the surface so I can examine them and go like, that's bullshit. Like that's, you know, you know, you're not running my life anymore thoughts. And then, um, the other thing is I was in a spiritual sharing circle through a church for like five years, years, years before recovery. And there was a guy in there who is longtime AA guy. And he used to say all the time, it's none of my business. What other people think of me. I was like, completely baffled by this. I, I like for about 15 years, whenever I would think about that, I was like, what does this mean? Well, my first OA meeting, I walk into first speaker says, it's none of my business. What other people think of me? What is my business 
is what I think of me. And I was like, whoa, oh, there's another piece of the puzzle. I still didn't understand what that meant. It took a while for that to sink in because I had all this lack of clarity in here. And so for me, that learning what is my business is what I think of me is, is that has to do with the integrity that I'm talking about. Like I was so focused on what you all thought of me that I lost sight of what I thought of me. So becoming an honest woman of integrity who treats herself right, which means other people treat me right because I teach them how to treat me and I treat other people right. I don't lie to them by people pleasing. I remember um, when I got into recovery, I understood there was the, like this continuum of helpfulness. So on one end, we've got like totally dysfunctional rescuing, you know, manipulative behavior of helping. And on the other end, we have this very healthy, kindly, helpful behavior. And I was like, okay, I got the two ends. Where, what happens in the middle there? Like, where do you cross over from like helpful to like dysfunctional and rescuing and manipulative and all that? And somebody said to me, well, it depends on your motives. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it so that people will like you? And I was like, no. But then that started to seep in. And I was like, wait a minute. I actually am doing things so people will like me. So I didn't know that I was a people pleaser. I thought I was nice. And then when I started to realize a people pleaser, I was like, oh my goodness. And then I realized people pleasing is dishonest and manipulative. I was like, oh my God, I'm a piece of shit. I manipulate people. And then I realized, wait a minute, this is a pattern from my childhood. Like we manipulate as children because we're not like, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel like uh, manipulation is pretty much all you got left. Right. So I got to stop. Not cool. Like I can't keep doing it, but learning about my motives was so important. I would say there's two questions I asked myself to, to determine for me personally, what's the right thing to do or what's the healthy thing to do. And those two questions are, what are my motives? And the second one is, does this serve me. And when I say, does it serve me? I mean, does it serve my highest good? Does it help me to practice these principles in all my affairs? So um, that motives question was just so helpful. Um, I think I could probably talk forever about recovery. I think um, I am going to stop there. I will say um, that it doesn't matter how shitty things get, just keep coming back. I'm going to keep coming back because this is really, really working for me. And you know what? It's not just working for me. It works for all that I've seen person after person after person. I've seen people whose physical appearance changes dramatically because they come in these completely bent over mush down people. And they're these loving, bright souls with straight spines now, because this recovery is so profound. So please keep coming back. Thank you very much for this opportunity to carry the message of recovery. Hmm. Thanks, Barb. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, Barb. Love you, Barb.
you, Thank you. Thank you, Barb. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, Barb. Awesome, Barb. Awesome. Thanks, Barb. Thank you, Barb.